hello and welcome back to this week's edition of the Mike the Gardener Gardening Podcast. As always, sponsored by those absolutely wonderful people at Natural Grower, who supply plant-based products for both organic and chemical-free gardening and indeed your houseplants. So how are you all? Are you having a decent summer wherever you are around this wonderful world of ours? Here in the UK at least, on the south coast, we've not had rain now for at least eight weeks. Well, not proper rain, so the lawn is still burnt to a crisp and for the first time in so many years I can't remember there being so few flowers in my own garden. Now, talking about the UK... Without a shadow of a doubt, the most popular gardening television programme over here has to be Gardener's World. Now, a little known fact for you all. When do you think Gardener's World first hit our television screens? OK, I'll tell you it was the 5th of January, but was it 1968, 1978 or 1972? 1968, 1978 or 1972. I sound like one of those pub quiz masters, don't I? Well, another one for you pub quiz fanatics out there. Gardener's World first hit our screens on the 5th of January 1968. Can you believe that? I was just four and a half years old then. So no rushing off to your calculators. We've got important stuff to talk about here today without working out how old I am. Uh, Gardener's World first presenter was Ken Burris, who led the programme from 1968 to 1979, followed by Percy Thrower, who was 1969 to 1976, and then Arthur Billet, 1976 to 1979. I hope you're writing all of this down because there will be a quiz at the end of this podcast. Then... In 1979, a gentleman came along to present the programme who would go down in the annals of Gardener's World history as one of its most popular ever presenters. Yes, I'm talking about none other than the legendary Jeff Hamilton. For millions of us, Jeff was the epitome of gardening and Gardener's World. Sadly, Jeff passed away 26 years ago in 1996. And today... I'm delighted to welcome to the podcast Jeff's son, Nick Hamilton. Nick is a well-known horticultural expert in his own right. He trained at Rittle College before gaining experience at several wholesale nurseries prior to going into business with his dad at Barnsdale. They were together for several years before Jeff's untimely death. Subsequently, Nick took on Barnsdale Gardens and from 1997 onwards opened them to the public. They continue to inspire, educate and enthrall through the many gardeners and non-gardeners who visit. Like his father before him, Nick is also an author in his own right and earlier this year published his new book, The Right Genes, which is book one of two charting the life and times of the inspirational Jeff Hamilton. It's a truly wonderful book with a lovely sense of humour running through its pages. I was delighted when Nick agreed to come and chat with me just a few weeks ago. Welcome to the podcast, Nick. Or should I say, welcome to the podcast, Tin Bum. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I did. I did wonder about whether to put that in the book or not. It was a, 
It was a, um, yeah, it's a nickname that my, my, my dad, um, he was the only one who ever used it, to be honest. And, and, uh, and I, got, I got so used to it that it was very strange when he called me by my proper name. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yes, he was, he was very proud of that one. Well, we'll come on to that later. But what made me particularly laugh about that is I think we're of a similar age, Nick. And when I was at school, I was a uh, one of my classmates was Nicholas, and he was known as Copperbottom. So oh. <laughs> a variation on a theme. But say we'll we'll come to that if we may. Um, unbelievably, twenty six years since your father passed away, and the legend that he was and his legacy live on through you, and indeed through Barnsdale. How does that make you feel twenty six years down the line? old is the answer a very quick answer to that i don't i mean to be honest i've, I've never worried about my age my it's not something that <clears throat> that really bothers me in any way shape or form there's nothing you can do about it you just got to carry on and i think mm -hmm. in in horticulture we get so used to doing that you know with the weather so we, we're used to just just buckling up and, and keeping on going um i have to say that it, it dawned on me not that long ago probably through well five or six years ago now, when, when I was talking to somebody, I'd always thought the same, you know, with, with the gardens here at Barnsdale, was that, you know, what a great legacy to leave people. But of course, you know, gardens are a work in progress, so they're yeah. continually changing. And, and generally the reason for that is because as gardeners, we want to, um, to keep the interest for ourselves going. And mm. if, it, if it stays the same for, for 20, 30 years, then, then we're, we're just maintaining, we're not innovating, we're not doing all the things that we love to do. Uh, but obviously for me, there's a different slant to that in that obviously I'm conscious of the fact that, you know, I need to find other ways apart from just the seasonal changes in order to attract people back. So gradually, and it is a gradual drip through of change because gardeners are, by their nature, very reluctant to change because things <laughs> in the garden do tend to move quite slowly. Mm. So, so we, we do drip stuff through. And, and, and then I was talking to this person and I realised in actual fact that the legacy isn't the garden, you know. The, the, the garden was a fantastic thing to leave for people, but it's not a, you know, for people to enjoy, but it's not a, a historical thing. It, it continues to move on, as I said. Uh, the, the, his real legacy are the, you know, the millions of people that have been affected in such a positive way by, you know, the television programme, by the writing that he did in magazines, by the writing of the books he did, and also by meeting in person. You know, those millions of people have been either inspired to take up gardening and, and you know, what a joy, and realise then what a joy that is, or they've been encouraged to, to delve deeper into their, their gardening and, and to do more with what they have. So, mm. you know, realistically... Uh, you know, I, I look at, around and there aren't that many people who spend their lives doing what they love and actually managing to, to leave that sort of legacy behind them. So uh, this is one of the questions I was keen to ask, because I'm sure visitors to the garden or some visitors, at least, are probably expecting to see the gardens exactly as they remember it when they watched Gardener's World, when your father was presenting it. So is there an element of there's 38 different gardens there? Is there an element of trying to keep the the feel of the garden the same so people can at least see that that's that was the garden that Jeff was working in. Well, if I, I mean, you know, I, I, I just remind you of our, of our four main things that we look at when people come here. Obviously, the first thing we look at is that we hope that they enjoy their visit. Second thing that we're, we're very keen on, and, and these are the four things that my, my dad was always very keen on as well with his television programme, and they carry on with the garden now it's open to the public. So um, was that everything we do 
we hope is relative to what people have at home, which is why we have 38 sort of smaller gardens and features that, that relate to what people have. Mm. Yeah, I think it, it's a, it is a real turnoff when you, you know, you look at something, I mean, stately home gardens and larger gardens are great to visit. They make a lovely visit, but, but trying to take ideas home to your own garden is difficult because I think certainly amateurs and professionals, you know, to be fair, find it, difficult to scale down it's very easy to scale up yeah I'm trying to scale down and keep that impact because yeah. the impact is an impact because it's big you know so so therefore um you know we, we produce things that are relative so that when people look they can be inspired because they can see whatever they see in our little gardens in their own garden obviously yeah. things that we do we look at being achievable and, and that was very important to my dad certainly as well was that if he ever built anything, he was he was very keen to make sure that, you know, you just needed to be able to move a saw backwards and forwards and hit a nail with a hammer and you could make anything that he made. <laughs> and, and and that's what we look at now. And certainly we, we take that a, a stage further so that, you know, if we if we have plants in the garden, you know, I, I say to people here when 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 I um, when I talk to them about it is that we don't you know, we don't buy plants from from a, a little nurseryman on the you know, Shetland Islands, who doesn't do mail order. I mean, there is no point because people can't get them. So if they like it, some things are more difficult to get, but there's nothing mm. wrong with that. You can find them if you hunt them out and, you know, and you can get them by mail order. The, the very last thing that we, that we look at is that we hope that everybody goes away with at least one idea. Now, whether that's a plant they've never seen before, a combination of plants, something we've made, just the way we've laid out a garden, the design of it, whatever, mm. you know, we hope that, that that's the case. So, you know a, a, a garden continually moves on and therefore you know the gardens that my dad created whilst they're still relevant to, to to what we want to do so whilst they're still giving you know lots of pleasure to people while they're still giving interest to people and most importantly whilst people are still able to take away ideas then they'll stay i mean there's no reason to change them is there you know Not if they're doing everything we want them to do yeah so when yeah. you look at things like the ornamental kitchen garden i mean my dad built that in 1987 uh, and it was late 1987 and, and, and it was established for a year, the main one, before they started to film the series. So, you know, it, it, it's a garden that's been about for a very, very long time, but mm. it's still doing everything, if not more than it did when my dad created it. Now, obviously, um, at the time Gardener's World with your father went out, you must have been in your, in your early teens, I guess, if not younger. Oh, you're very kind. <laughs> yeah. You first started, well, no, to be fair, you were about right. You first started in 1979 on Gardener's World. And yeah. so I was 17. Um, and and obviously in the early years, it was it was a little bit hit and miss. He wasn't on every week, you know, and, and so uh, that started to grow. But I think that um, obviously the viewing figures were quite a bit lower then than they were once he'd, he got established at Barnstead and they were they were coming very much, you know, most uh, the biggest chunk of the program was coming from Barnstead. Then, you know, he suddenly became much better known. Mm. Um, but um, but yes, it, it, it wasn't. So therefore, when I was at school and, and you know, and, and obviously at, at six, well, what was sixth form college um, in effect then? Um, he wasn't really that well known. And even when I went to horticultural college, he wasn't really that well known. He knew. He knew the lecturers. There were still a couple of lecturers at Rittle that were there when he was at Rittle. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and so you know, I did. Um, there was that, but that was only because they'd lectured him that they knew him. It wasn't because he'd been on the TV. So 
you know, I was, I was sort of incognito a little bit when I was at Horticultural College, which I think was quite handy. Well, yeah, because I was going to ask, I mean, you were both the middle son of three sons uh, and both had this passion for gardening and horticulture. And I think your dad was keen for you to go to Riddle, wasn't he? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, you've, you've read in the book about the story about, you know, going going to the horticultural trade show. I mean, it was the only, you know, I got prospectuses from from lots of well all the all of the main colleges that, that were about then and uh, and and the one college that we managed to go and talk to was Rittle and that was it so um he was very keen that I did at, at the time you know for what I wanted to do it was considered to be the best college in the country for that and therefore mm. it was a double-edged thing but yes he was very keen I mean I think I don't know why because he'd been terrible at Rittle I mean he was he was uh, all through his life he was just a nightmare when it came to, to things that he did um, and found in, funny. In what respect, Nick? Well, just he found funny. I mean, if I tell you that, that you know, his favourite comedy programme was was the, um, was the uh, Monty Python. Yeah, oh, right, OK. Enough that said. That's all almost, I need to almost. tell you. So very off the wall, you know, found things that nobody else would find funny, very, very funny. And, and I've said to people quite a lot, you know, I, I have no idea how myself and my two brothers ever grew up sane um, because he was bad and, he, and, and his father, my grandfather, was even worse. You know, so um, it was a, it was an interesting childhood in that respect. Yeah. And, and, and that's why at the top of the podcast, I referred to you as Tin Bum. And so like, so I was assuming this was part of your father's barking mad personality. Um, there are some some great stories in the book that sort of underpin that. And that's the one thing about the book. And of course, the book I'm talking about for my listeners is The Right Genes. So let's let's just talk about the book. How did the book come about? Has this been something that's been inside you that you've wanted to write for a long time? Did somebody approach you? How, how did the book come about? Yeah, it, 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 yes, I had it rattling around in my head for quite a number of years as what I, that I wanted to do it. You know, the problem is that obviously, you know, when my, when my father passed away, you know, I wasn't ready for that. Um, the nursery was, um, was not um, financially viable at the time. He was still supporting that. Mm. Uh, and you know and then all of a sudden I've, I've you know I, I've been given the garden um, by him and you know uh, with no money bless him uh, and uh, and and so you know then had to so I've hit the ground running really and it probably took probably took me you know over 10 years really to to, to stop to, to to stop that sprint that initial sprint I mean yeah, it was yeah. a, you know wasn't trained business when I was a horticulturist and I think a lot of the problem with a lot of horticulturists is that actually they're not great businessmen they survive but they're not great businessmen and and we do it because we have a passion for it and Mm. and and so you know I've I've been ever since you know August 1996 I've been learning as I've gone along in that respect and 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 I didn't have a good role model because my dad was was a terrible terrible businessman (laughs) <laughs> you know, he, he he had no real idea about business. And, and you know, and, and that was the main reason that, you know, I wrote about it in the book. And I'm quite happy to talk to people about his bankruptcy, because when, you know, when the nursery went bankrupt, the reason was that it was just bad business practice, really, mm. that did that. You know, what he was doing with the garden centre in Kettering, sorry, the garden centre in Kettering was um, was fantastic, mm. but, but not on a business footing. Uh, but of course, you know, without that utter cataclysmic disaster that he had, 
for the whole family, not just for him, but for yeah, the whole yeah. family because we lost our, we lost everything. Mm. Um, without that, that would never have sent him down the route that he went. So without that, people would never have got Jeff Hamilton on Gardner's world. Um, so, you know, it took me a while really of, of this thing rattling around in my head. I knew I wanted to do it because there was a lot written about my dad, but, but, you know, it was all about and around the TV stuff really. Yeah. Uh, so I wanted to, to, to write about what he was properly like and to make people understand what, what really, what created that, that man and, and, you know, that they saw on the TV. Uh, and, and of course, a lot of that was, was, um, is reflected in me because I'm, you know, as I say in the book, the middle son is, you know, so they say is, is very much like their, their father. Yeah. And, and so, and, and that's true in, in certainly in my case. So. And do uh, other people tell you that? And, and can you see it in yourself? Well, I think I think the problem here at Barnsdale is in the nicest possible way. You know, I've had lots and lots of people tell me that I'm exactly like my dad. And I'm not because he mm. never wore glasses. Um, I am my own person at the end yeah, of the day. Exactly. But, but as the title of the book, you know, about the genes, I do have a lot of his genes in me because he's my dad. Mm. And, and, and you, you, you know, you do look and you just think, oh, God, I've inherited that gene. You know, what a bird. <laughs> um, and, and that's really the, the you know, he always used humour. Um, as did his father to 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 counter everything good mm. or bad you know it, there was always a humorous response and and certainly in, in the dark days you know humor was what carried him through you know after the the, the garden center went bust and things yeah, yeah and and lots of time so this thing was rattling around in my head and I wasn't really quite sure how to start it and then my wife Helen was the one really who encouraged me to to start you know not putting pen to paper because we don't these days, but tapping away on the computer keys. Um, and, and so I started to, to put that down and I found, you know, I did research, um, you know, uh, I mean, my wife Helen was a great researcher with everything that she did and, 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 you know, and I've sort of taken that on board and I, and I thought, well, I'll research how other authors do write books and whatever else. And you do find that people meticulously plan and they'll mm. have all these post-it notes all over their office and they'll do all of this stuff and it'll be, and I just sat down with the computer and some days it flowed, some days it didn't. And, and some days you'd start at generally in the evening. Cause when I get back from work, so I'd start maybe at seven o'clock in the evening before I knew it's two o'clock in the morning. Oh goodness you know? me. <laughs> and, and well, you know, once it goes, you just keep it going and then keep riding then it. Course, yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and it's, and, and then it's about jiggling it around and making this thing flow all the way through. So, so, so yes, it was something that, that I had had in my mind to do for a long time, but you just need that encouragement to, to sit down and start. And once and of you course start, you're, you're no stranger to writing books. You've already, you've already authored a couple of books. Different, a to totally different thing. You know, yeah. when, when you, you know, when you look at, at, at going back in your life, I mean, it's quite an emotional journey, to be honest. Of course. Because you're raking you, in the nicest possible way, you know, not in a horrible way in any way. Shape, yeah, yeah. But you're raking all these stories back up that you'd, you'd not thought about. And some that I'd completely forgotten had suddenly sprung into mind because I was writing about something else. Mm. And it is quite an emotional, emotional journey. And, and I think that's, you know, the books I've written in the past have been purely horticultural. Yes. What I wanted to make this was really very much a story about, you know, a, a boy and his dad growing up and, and, and the relationship there. And, 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 I, and I've been talking to people um, since I've, uh, obviously since the book's come out and people who've read it and and uh, and I've had so many lovely comments about it but um but talking to them and saying you know that it it I always thought that our family was very odd 
<laughs> and that, that there were some very strange things that happened in it when you look back at things and so many funny things and whatever. And then you realize actually that your family is no different to any other. You know, when you look back at your own family life, there are very strange things that go on. There's some very, very funny things that happen, you know, well, yeah. family members and things. So we're all the same. And I think well, I think sort of like having having read the book, it, it's a it's a lovely book on so many levels, but it's also a humorous book as well. And um, there's some great stories in there. And again, sort of being of a similar age, um, there's a story about a go kart um, and yeah. how you and your brothers, Stephen and Christopher, had the, are you, I mean, I don't want to give too much away, but you were able to give us a little bit of a flavour of that story about the go-kart, because it really, it was something I did when I was your age, wanted to make a go-kart. We all had go-karts. Yeah, well, I mean, absolutely. I mean, we were, we were um, you know, young kids, really, less than mm -hmm. 10 years old. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, and even then, you know, the, the, the way that we were living, we lived in a, in a small terraced house in, in Hertfordshire, and, um, you know, my dad was landscaping, no money. Uh, and so even in those days, he, he was a, an avid maker of everything. Mm. And, and so therefore we grew up to always to be in the same mode. So, uh, you know, we, we created this, um, this go-kart out of bits and bobs that we found that, you know, lying around and also, um, you know, from, from people that were chucking stuff out and whatever. And, and, and as you did then, and, and it's, it seems strange to be talking about it now because you don't, you don't really see it now. Well, no, because um, kids go out and buy a go-kart from a shop. It's, all, it's like a plastic moulded, but we made go-karts out of pram wheels and... Yeah, pram wheels and trolley wheels and all sorts of anything you could get hold of. And, yeah. and, and you know, raiding my dad's shed for, for bits of wood and, and all of this sort of stuff. And and uh, and I don't want to give too much away either. But as you read in the book, it, it it's it's not a particularly happy ending. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> my my, you know, mine and both. To be fair, mine and both my brothers' um, construction techniques over the years have improved. <laughs> That's all I would say. <laughs> well, it's it's definitely. I mean, there are many stories out the book that put a smile on my face, but that one really sort of like rang with me because of yeah. my experience of making go karts. I, I wondered, sort of like your brothers, Stephen and Christopher. Did they have any input? Did you get them to read any of the drafts or did you write it and then put it out there and for them just to pick it up and read it on a their own? Absolutely not. No, absolutely <laughs> not. Uh, I mean, we, we, we got on very well. All three of us got on very well. And, you know, it, it, but this is my story as I remember it. You know, my, my, and that's the point, I think, that, you know, you were talking earlier on about people coming and, and, and you know, expecting to see the gardens as they were mm. now virtually 26 years on uh, but of course what they you know even from the early years they look back bearing in mind he was on the tv for 17 years so they've got a long period to look back at and and it's very rose tinted view now yeah, yeah. you know when you look back at your life there will be stories that you can recount mm. that somebody else in your family will have a, a slightly different slant on it mm. because you remember things differently differently and I'll, and I wanted this to be, you know, my story um, about it. And, and, and you know, obviously, um, neither of them are painted in a bad light, but there might be some stories in there that they didn't necessarily want publishing. But you know, <laughs> I mean, oh, it's tough. It's tough now. Um, they have to live with it. But, but no, I mean, the, the, the whole point is, you know, I've lived my whole life with all this humour around and I, I can't help it. And, and, and I, I like to be... You know, I like to be laughing. I like to enjoy stuff. And, and mm. so, you know, I hope that comes across in the book in that respect, because my life has been, like I've sort of said, staggering from 
one funny thing to the next, you know, and, and, it, yeah. and it makes for a very good life. It, it does come across in the book. It really does. It was it was a joy to read. Um, the title, The Right Genes, how how quickly did you come up? Because that's a, it's a big play on words, isn't it? It is a big play on words. I don't, it just came to me. I, I, I had this, I don't know, I think sometimes, you know, I, I worry about, um, as I'm sure my dad did, um, although he probably worries a little bit, he worried a little bit less than I do, but I worry about things sometimes that, that do pop into my head. <laughs> and you think, yes, they're definitely genetic. And I, no, no, I can't say that. Uh, and, and whatever. But but the thing is that that it just popped into my head the idea of 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 having that because initially I I, start, I thought I'm going to write a book, mm. a book, and then I started putting down all these stories and and trying to and then I realised that if I wrote one book it would be like War and Peace, you know, it would be so big that 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 you know nobody would read it or buy it yeah, because yeah. they'd think it was a, a bit too much to read. So. So, so then all of a sudden this idea came into my head about, I'd always said about the genetic thing, so the right genes there. And obviously the second book is also going to be called The Right Genes, but, but the genes bit spelt J-E-A-N-S because my dad was, was the first gardener to garden in genes and that's, that's what he was known about. And so it. the relationship there between the two, I, I, thought, I just thought it was quite funny to have two books that, that sounded exactly the same, but that but were it- different. Now, I'm so glad you've mentioned the second book, because obviously I've went through the first book like a dose of salts. I've read it all. I'm ready for part two, because book one takes us up to the point where he's about to start Gardener's World. When is the next book out? How long have we now got to wait for book two? I keep getting pressured for this, you know. (laughs) Well, of course you are. (laughs) (laughs) We're all waiting. Come on, Nick. It's uh, it's yeah, it's not not quite as easy as it sounds. I mean, I, the the problem no, is no, no, that... it is as easy as it sounds. You just yeah. keep writing, Nick. <laughs> it's there are only twenty four hours in a day. Yeah. I do twenty three and a half already. Um, and, and so the 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 thing is that that obviously you know there, there's a reasonable proportion that I'd already I've already written yeah. that isn't in the that what well, didn't go into the the first book that that has been saved because I've split into two for the second book. So so I've, I've made a good start on it. Um, for me, generally, the, the time for writing, because of the shorter days and the less opportunity to be outside and, and doing you know, my day job, as it were, um, then, then that will invariably be done through the winter uh, and, and, uh, and then hopefully released sometime next year. It just depends on how long the publishing process um, in that respect takes. But I do find that it flows quite well uh, and, and, um, you know, and, and that that works. But it, it's... Um, Yes, it's a it's a difficult one, really, because you know I I thought oh it, that's really good I should really have the other one, but trying to find the time to do it is mm. is the difficult bit, and I do really enjoy doing it. Yeah, uh, but but of course if I'm doing that, then I'm not doing other things that I really should be doing. Right, so many questions. Um, so it's good that I think in this day and age we're all used to these box sets where as soon as you finish the first one, you can go straight to the next one. So we will we'll wait until next year with bated breath. I really can't wait to see and and read part two. Um, Thank you. The the other question I was going to ask was you mentioned just a moment ago you worry about things, but maybe not so much as your father did. And is that because is there a pressure upon you to sort of like because this is Jeff Hamilton, the gardener who we all adored, to make sure you get it right. Is that where the pressure comes from? Is or is it just your own pressure? No, I think I mean I'm I'm, I'm I think if you if you ask the staff here and anybody that knows me, I'm I'm quite a laid back and relaxed sort of person. Mm. Um I think that 
that we all do have the tendency to there are certain things that do stress us and 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 worry us and and whatever um but um you know i've got i've got two boys i say boys they're 34 and 30 now um, <laughs> but but you know it's a constant that's a constant thing because obviously you know they're yours in that respect and and so you, you know i don't worry worry about them because they're, they're quite capable of looking after themselves and and have been for a long time but yeah you know there's there's always that in your head but i think the the son of jeff hamilton thing was something that i resigned myself to a long long time ago in, not in a bad way in a very good way yeah, and yeah. i know that i will always be that um, yeah. but i'm also my own person i fl- i plow my own furrow uh, in that respect but i think in the early years i i, I I did put myself under pressure worrying about my dad's reputation about, and obviously quite rightly worrying about his reputation about what people would think about the gardens when they came to see them. Mm. The the problem I had in the early years was that, you know, the gardens opened and, 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 you know, people didn't understand the, the, the backstory really of it all. So they didn't understand that, you know, he wasn't paid very much by the BBC in, in many of the years that he, he, um, was on the television mm. um, and and even when they gave more money to the program he wanted that for for projects to do within the program he, he's like me he, he didn't really have an right. interest in financial benefit yeah. I don't you know yeah. the only reason that I, I would worry about money would be for the business to keep going as it were because I have a you know I, and I do take very seriously my responsibility towards my staff and everything else you know and, and whatever so you know, the, 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 and, and there's been some 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 quite nail biting times over the years, as yeah. generally in horticulture, driven by the weather more than anything. Yeah. But but that that early years of worrying about what people would think, but of course they didn't realise that there wasn't the money to go into the gardens. It wasn't pristine all the time while he was on the television. But basically, what we did, and these these are his sort of words, we would tart little bits up to be filmed. You know, and of course, yes. you didn't see the stuff around. I'm not yeah, saying yeah. it was left to go to rack and ruin, but it wasn't as it is now. And of course, the other thing that people misunderstand is the fact that, and it took a number of years, sorry, to get to the stage where I was very, very happy with with what we were producing. You know, for mm. people to come and see. But of course, what we do is to be inspirational. Mm. Now, if this was a, a proper bona fide stately garden where everything was perfect, every blade of grass was in the right place everything it, it's not inspirational to people because the way people live now you can't do that anymore yeah it's it's not realistic no i mean you don't you no longer retire and spend you know 23 hours a day in the garden now no. there are so many other things to do yeah most most um of, of grandparents these days now their, their biggest responsibility is looking after the grandchildren which i don't think they signed up to when they had kids <laughs> but but you know that and, and so you know there are lots and lots of other things to do now so the whole point is that that you know garden if you're a gardener if you go into your garden there should always be something to do because otherwise mm. you can't satisfy your desire to garden so yeah. so you don't you don't ever want that garden to be completely pristine and the way we view gardens now has moved on from that stately home thing so you know there is there is much less pressure i don't put myself under pressure i've done for quite a long time now as to as to you know worrying about what people think about my dad because you know that's now 26 years ago yeah. and and you know uh, and as proud as i am of him and i am extraordinarily proud of everything that he did in you know in that respect then you know that 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 i don't worry about because that to me i can't i can no longer do anything i do my best which is all my dad ever said you know if you do your best what else can you do 
you can't, can you? No. Now, you've talked about um, being proud of your dad. Would your dad be proud of what you have done? Because you've maintained these gardens now for 26 years. You've built the business. You, you write for magazines. You've written books. He's had, he's had um, 26 years to, to strike me down with a bolt of lightning, and it hasn't happened yet. Um, <laughs> That's but, a good sign, then. I, I mean, I, I know um, for a fact that he would be um, absolutely buzzing with pride as, mm. to, as to how the gardens have developed. And, and you know, and also not just, just, not just looking at the gardens and how, how well they've come on and, and how well the staff do here to, to, to maintain them to the level that we do and, and all the ideas that we give for people. It, that's what it's about. Yeah. Not just about the garden, it's about the impact it's had on, mm. on all the people that have visited it. And, and that, those two things, he would be extraordinarily proud of that. I bet. Um, just picking up on, you've mentioned staff. Um, you've obviously got staff helping you in the garden and with the with the operation there. How many do you have? And how many did your dad have when he was actually looking at, um, when he was doing Gardeners World? Sorry, the phone's ringing. Do you want to do that again or not? Or are you all right with that? That's okay. We'll, we'll, just we'll run it. with it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I have a, a staff of um, six full-time gardeners i say okay. full-time there's there's uh two um two ladies that I have who do um four days a week but they're full-time throughout the year uh and so six gardeners i have um three and a half people in the nursery and then i've got um another um three um sorry uh five full-time in the tea room and then then seasonal staff that help in the tea room and also on the garden entry kiosk um, so, you know, in the height of the season, I can have, you know, sort of somewhere between around the sort of 25 to 30 people on my books, because Goodness. obviously through the tea room, you have a rotor system. So yeah. you, know, you have some people who might do three days, other people who do four or whatever, you know, mm -hmm. that, and, but we use university students a lot. And, and I think I'm almost getting to the stage where most people who've lived in Rutland for 25 years, their children have, you know, have been here <laughs> to work in the tea room before they've gone to university or while they're at university, you know. So, so, so we, we've, we've um, satisfied quite a lot of families um, in the, in the county, but, um, but yes, they, you know, they all do an extraordinary job. We're all, you know, I, I just saying to, um, I had a, a gardener who, who moved on. I don't, you know, I don't have staff move on that often. Mm -hmm. I have to say um, there was an opportunity that he was given that that he felt was just right for him, and that's fine. You know that that's not a, people don't look at a job for life anymore. But you know, John John the head gardener has been with me for uh, twenty seven years. So has Betty, who works in the garden. You know, Susie's been with me for eighteen years. Norrie's been with me for sixteen years. You know, I, I do retain staff. I mean, yeah. to be fair, I chain them up at nights. They can't escape. <laughs> but that's a secret. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um but no you know and all the staff are pulling in the right direction they all want what's best for everything and you know horticulture isn't a highly paid industry it's a very poorly no. paid industry yeah. but i think you know if you create the right working environment then people get mm. out of bed in the morning and they actively can't wait to get to work and, and you can't whatever you pay you can't pay for that feeling absolutely and, not and you spend a lot of time at work especially if they're chained up at night as well but so yes, exactly. to enjoy it. i do i do yeah i do give them the odd little bit of cheese and stuff <laughs> to get them going but but the thing is that they you know they they over the over the years you know everybody understands my sense of humor everybody mm. you know knows what i'm like and i but i also take an awful lot more than i give and it creates a very good 
working environment. We come to work to have fun. I don't come to work to be depressed or upset or anything like that. Not at all. I come to work to have fun, and that's what we do. Um, and so, you know, the, the, I do have said several times to the staff, you know, it's quite a funny thing because you, you go out and do, I'll go out and do a, one of my Barnsdale talks to to a, a gardening group somewhere or a youth trail or whatever. And, and you know, and there's a question at the end saying, oh, you know, so um, so how do you get time to come out and do talks when you've got all that garden to look after? And I say, well, you know, I just work very hard. I said, of course, I take all the credit myself. Of course I do. You know, <laughs> yeah. but I don't. I, I never do. I always credit where credit's due. And, and, and you know, I could never do what I do without, you know, having the team that I have. So did your dad have any help in the garden? I mean, you have a team because it's more, I guess it's more of a business than it was when your dad was doing Gardener's World. Yeah, well, because of because of the fact that, that obviously, you know, because of the, 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 and it was an appalling wage initially that he got from the BBC and then then money that they, I mean, he went many years where they didn't, they didn't give him any money at all to, for the upkeep of barns. So they basically paid him a presenter's fee, which was very poor. Yeah. Um, as it was. Uh, and so he employed... Um, Two two people full time or one person part time, really, mm. and and that and that was it. Um, and and when you're looking at a garden that's that's four acres, then then you know if you had a four acre garden, you would have it laid out in a completely different way to the way that you know you've seen Barnsdale. It's yeah, all the gardens in in within a larger garden, and that's that's what people forget. Although you know when you go into the main TV garden as well as this, the, you know the, the the other half of the garden is we're all laid out in a sort of similar way. Mm. Um, you forget that you know what he was creating were lots of television sets, but also that was his own back garden. So he wanted it to feel like a garden. Yeah, yeah. Rounded, it does feel like a garden, but of course it's laid out in a in a very labour-intensive way because of the way that it needed to be laid out. Mm. So if you had a four-acre garden, you you wouldn't lay it out like that, and therefore you could cope with much less staff in, in that respect. But of course he had to have that. So, um, but it, he did a lot of uh, you know he used to. Certainly with the small um, short series that he did, like the, the Cottage Garden series, Ornamental Garden series, Paradise Garden series, he did lots of the work for that himself within the gardens because, mm. you know, the, the, he got to the terrible situation where he almost needed to find excuses for him to get out into his beloved garden. And that's all <laughs> he wanted to do. But in order to keep Barnsdale going, he needed to do the writing, he needed to do the personal appearances, he needed to do all of those things yeah. in order to generate the money to keep it going, you know. so. Um, so it, it's an interesting, but he only had a small staff really for what he had, very small staff. Now, you mentioned just a moment ago, you have two boys. So there's no middle son this this time round. Um, are either, is there anybody in the family who is into gardening and will take the mantle on in the years ahead? Well, when I, I mean, you know, the, the middle, you know, start with the middle son bit, first of all, you know, sort of a deliberate thing, really, um, because when I look at myself and when I look at my dad, you know, you realise that, you don't really want to inflict the world with another one in the middle. <laughs> so, so it's sort of deliberate. And, and, um, and no, I mean, you know, it's a strange thing. I, I get, I get lots of people, like I say, from here, when I talk to them here and when I talk to them out and about doing talks or wherever, flower shows that we're at or whatever, that, that say, oh, you know, are, are, are surprised when I say to them that, that neither of my brothers are really interested in gardening. My, my older brother, used to take all he's a professional photographer took all the pictures from my father's books and articles mm. uh, but but since he since he passed away has, has moved into websites and social media and all that sort of stuff so he he built my website and the web shop and he looks after all my social media and does all of that sort of stuff but also comes up and takes the photographs here for that 
uh, which is great, but literally turned 60 last year. And, and that was the, the first, he all of a sudden took an interest in his garden. And, and, I, and I've almost got to say, well, I'm going to have to say to him, look, will you stop emailing me blooming gardening questions? I've got other work <laughs> to do. But it's taken him 60 years to get into my younger brother, who's a, a, um, a, an art teacher, well, he's head of an art department, all girls school. He, he has no interest in gardening at all, mows the grass under duress. And, you know, oh, my dear. older brother used to, used to, he used to phone me up before he discovered gardening last year. He used to phone me up twice a year um, and ask me if he could borrow my strimmer to mow his grass. And that was about <laughs> as far as he went. So, but it's a, it's a strange thing when people ask me and they, they're surprised when I say that to them because, mm. you know, my dad was well known. I think it's the same in a, you know, in a village environment, for example, if, you're, if your father was the village GP, then, then you know they they think that the, one of the children or all the children will go into medicine and do the same thing. Yeah. But of course, most most children don't follow what their parents do as a job. Yeah. And and of course, when I was little growing up, my dad was a, a landscaper, so therefore he was out and about. You don't take little kids on a job when you're landscaping. No. So I never experienced that that the early years. You know like somebody would if they were growing up on a farm or, mm. or on a on a plant nursery or whatever, mm. where you're you're in it day in, day out. So it was only when when um when we moved to Kettering and, and my dad bought the garden centre that that really sparked my interest in gardening because I was up there after school, you know, every weekend and and whatever and doing that. So that was really from nine really was when I started to become really, really interested. I think I always had a little bit of it in me. Yeah. Um, yeah. But but really interested from there. So your your boys are, are, are there any aspiring? Oh, sorry, I forgot about that bit. Yes, I, I, I try not to forget about them. But <laughs> um, but yes, no, um, they um, they're not interested at all in horticulture. That was my point. You know, why should they be really yeah. um, in that respect? But um, but my you know my youngest son is has a very good business head on him, um, ah. and has done several jobs where you know he's he's had to deal with accounts he's had to deal with staff and staffing mm. and all of that sort of stuff and balance the books and all so you know and and he has funnily enough just turned 30 this year and he has now started to show an interest in in horticulture and well gardening at home you know and, and he'll, he'll suddenly rattle off several you know a couple of plant names to me and and uh, and, and be very proud of the fact that he knows them and oh, so there's there's the future then a business mind and a gardening mind yeah exactly yeah so so i'm hoping that you know i, I think it's a it's a strange thing isn't it that people think that these things should always carry on and i've always said to people you know at the end of the day my dad was fortunate that i was able to take on barnsdale and and move it forward and 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 do different things with it in that we've opened it to the public but um but he was lucky with that but he had his enjoyment of the gardens whilst he was alive mm, mm. i have you know every day i work seven days a week and every day you know i have i have great enjoyment in the gardens um and and i love what i do um and people say well will it carry on i said to them but you know i don't know i but but for me i don't worry about that i, I would like to think that it would because of the amount of effort that both myself and my staff yeah, over many in. many years have put into it mm, but at mm. the end of the day i'm not you know when i'm six foot under i'm not going to be down there worrying about whether the garden is <laughs> no. open or not you know so it's nice to have in your mind that it that it would carry on i think that you know that i think tom i think both my sons could work together but you know my son tom is the youngest one would probably be the driving force on the business side of things and i think that that 
sometimes he doesn't know, don't tell him, he doesn't know this yet, but I think sometime soon he will start to find himself being eased into the business. Mm. We won't say a word. No, just, don't. just between the two of us. <laughs> Nobody listens to this. No. <laughs> um, you mentioned your own garden just a moment ago. Do you have your own garden outside of Barnsdale? Well, I have a, I have a, a garden, a small garden, a small bit of lawn at the back of my house, a small bit of lawn at the front of my house, and that's it. I mow the grass. I spend, Mike, seven days a week here, you know, yeah. 23 hours a day. I don't, I don't have time to, to garden at home. And, and, you know, at the end of the day, I have, I have all the beauty that a garden could give. Yeah. You know, so, so I, I don't, but I suppose, you know, when you talk to my the guy I used to use years ago as a plumber, um, he said to me, he said, oh, he said, I, I said to him, well, I've got a bit of a problem I need. He said, well, I can't do it this weekend. He said, because I promised the wife I'd, fin- I'd finish the bathroom. <laughs> I said, oh, right. And, and I, I said to him, oh, right, okay. So how long have you been doing that for? He said, well, I started it when my youngest son was born. He says, 23 now. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> and I said, well, it's quite right that your wife's getting a bit upset about it. But you do find that, that, you know, if you're, for me, it's not about the fact that I'm doing it day in, day out, and I don't want to be doing it at home. It's just purely about the fact that I don't have the time. And I yeah. think that if you don't have the time, you know, it's when, when I talk to, to more elderly visitors here, you know, and, and they talk to me about having to downsize. I'm saying to them, you know, gardening should always be a pleasure and never a chore. Mm. And when it becomes a chore, then you need to look at the reasons why you've still got it. Exactly. For me, exactly. I wouldn't want to worry about the fact that my garden at home was full of weeds, the borders and whatever, because I haven't had a chance to get on it. Mm. I'm happier focusing on here and just whizzing out with the mower every now and again. I did wonder. And by the way, I hope that wasn't your son on the phone sort of talking about the business and how it's going to be going forward. <laughs> don't answer it when I see his name. Yes. <laughs> Nick, thank you so much for taking time out today to come and talk to me. The book, The Right Genes, uh, published by 2QI, 2QT even. Um, it's, a, it's a great book. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Can't wait for part two. Thank you so much. Pleasure. Thank you, Mike. Well, I don't know about you, but I can certainly hear Jeff in Nick's voice. Alike in so many ways, but there are clearly so many differences between them both. If you haven't read the book, The Right Genes, then it's a great read. And if, like me, you haven't been to Barnsdale yet, it's definitely one for the wish list. And as you heard in this episode, book two is in the pipeline, shall we say. No pressure, Nick. No pressure whatsoever. (laughs) But come on, we're all waiting. Thank you, Nick, for coming along and having a chat with me. I hope you enjoyed hearing Nick's story and that of Jeff, of course, as much as I did. Well, lovely people, that's it for me today. I'll be back next week, of course, with another fascinating guest and more gardening chit-chat. So, as always, happy gardening and I'll see you next week. Bye-bye for now. Bye-bye.